Blog Talk Radio. We certainly do that in college football. We certainly do that in high school football. 
We will draw conclusions and formulate an opinion on a player or a prospect based on what we see in those highlights, the best moments. And we tend to formulate those opinions saying that those highlights really is what the player is. Um, those five minutes or seven minutes or ten minutes of um, the player at his best formulates our opinion as to the ability of that player, the character of that player as it pertains to them on the field. And uh, we do this basically with any and every sport that's out there. So how does this relate to the real life and the real world that we live in? And um, I think there is a direct correlation to it. And as I go through social media, and I made a bit of a post about this yesterday, kind of, sort of, but just to draw this, because listen, sports, um, especially football, um, is parallel with life and how life works. And I will notice this, we, there's a narrative that gets pushed. It's all the big talk now about Facebook. The Russians possibly infiltrated um, our election, and where's the number one place that they did that? They did that on this app that you're watching me on right now. Uh, they disseminated messages and curbed people's opinions and got them out to vote, and got them to vote in a certain way, that is alleged, based on the opinions of the propaganda that was put out there. So I'm saying this, they do largely, uh, I'm speaking to blacks, um, African-Americans, uh, there's a narrative that gets pushed around, I see quite often on social media, and that is that we're violent. And there are folks that are able to provide highlight videos of such things, fights uh, in public, um, um, confrontations just about everywhere. Waffle House, which is a big place, Chuck E. Cheese, fights everywhere, uh, and violence, confrontations with police, etc., etc. Fights after school, fights in front of school, fights before school, fights during school, fights in the classroom, violence, and a lot of it. Um, and the rage lately seems to be fights among black women, any and everywhere. And we may not be able to control some of the entities that put out these highlight videos, but they are putting them out. And just the same way that we draw opinions about a person's worthiness on the ball field, on the ball court, based on what we see in those highlight videos, an opinion is being formed about our race based on the highlight videos that are getting pushed around um, on social media, with Facebook being the biggest one of those. And the continual pushing of those images and those videos are leading many to form an opinion on us. And what you also got to understand is there are people in certain parts of this country that have very limited contact with Blacks, African Americans. So the biggest form of their education comes through social media. And when the only highlights they see are of violence, then a very maladjusted opinion is being formed of Blacks, African Americans, etc. If I were to come out and show you highlight videos of um, Sam Darnold, every one of his turnovers, just showed that to you repeatedly. Every one of his turnovers from this past season, which he had a good amount, and that was pretty much the only thing that was being passed around on social media, or the only thing being passed around to NFL GMs and executives, I don't think Sam Darnold would be um, the number one pick overall in tomorrow's draft. 
the opinion that would be formed of Sam Darnold is that the only thing he is is a turnover machine. Likewise, when the large predominant portion of videos that are passed around on social media are of blacks and African Americans being violent, the opinion that is being formed is that it's, that's exactly who we are. We're violent all the time, anywhere, all of us are. And the widespread sweeping opinion, because that's what we do now, and no one wants to take the time to research anything or, or look up anything, the predominant opinion um, across the board is going to be that we're violent. When you combine this with the fact that um, the biggest thing you now see get pushed around about police are that they're corrupt, they're violent, and all they want to do is rough up people. Um, in the cities of America, you have a very terrible combination. There's no coincidence that the increasing troubles for blacks and African Americans um, have come, have run parallel with the rise of social media. And that has been the same for police officers. The disrespect for police officers, the low opinion for law enforcement has also kind of coincided with social media. And so the same way that you would look at uh, a player's highlight videos and make a determination, the same is being done in the real world as we see these images day in, day out of African-Americans, blacks being violent, and police being violent. And when you bring the two together, we have a problem. Because now the biggest person and the biggest group that's going to be affected by law enforcement are going to be the people whose highlight videos are strictly violence. That's all we're seeing. And you know who sees all of those videos that are being passed around? You betcha. Police officers. Police officers are on Facebook, too. Police officers are on social media, too. And if the constant images and highlight videos that they see for blacks are us being violent, what do you think happens when they show up? When they show up on the scene or they encounter blacks, African Americans, it's going to be, hey, they're going to bring to the scene everything they've seen on social media. We're talking about highlight videos, Santana Melvin, and I'm, gonna, I'm relating it to the real world. I made this, I had this thought, if the only highlights you saw of Sam Darnold were him throwing incompletions and interceptions, um, I think the opinion on Sam Darnold would be that he's not a very good quarterback. And when you're on social media now, the only thing you really get to see are blacks um, and African-Americans being violent and unruly, and any and everywhere, then that's the opinion that I think is getting formed. So I'm going to bring it around to this. Maybe we can't control some of the places that want to put this out. But I do know this. I have a timeline full of blacks and African Americans that are my friends on Facebook. And I know uh, a large majority of us have no problem passing around and sharing fight videos with us in it. Um, throwing around videos of us being ratchet, um, violent, and all of that. And what you're doing is help perpetuate that image, that stereotype. You're passing around a highlight video of all of our bad plays, us in our worst moments. And so what do you think is going to happen? The same thing that would happen if the only video we had available of Sam Darnold was him throwing interceptions, fumbling the football, and throwing incompletions. So... Just my message here today 
is, hey, let's be aware of the highlight videos of our race. And this goes for anyone listening. Um, what is it that you want to put out there? We're so careful when it comes to our athletes. Like if you had a son, if you had a child, and you're putting together his highlight video, it's not going to be of him fumbling the ball when he's a running back. It's going to be 50 and 60-yard touchdowns. Um, it's going to be the great passes that he's thrown or the hard tackles that he's made. It's going to be the best plays. So I'm appealing to everyone that's listening to this, following this, watching this today, is when something comes across your timeline involving you, your race, you are now kind of responsible for how that narrative is going to get pushed. So when you share it and you put it on your page, uh, because it's entertaining, remember, you're putting out a highlight video. And someone is, many people are going to be watching it, and they're going to form an opinion on you, your race, and everyone that looks like you. And so I think we have a duty to resist that. What's more important, your entertainment or your safety, or the safety of people that look like you or your loved ones? So we all need to be mindful of that. And so uh, I just wanted to start off with that today. What highlight videos are we putting out there about our own people? Because the same way we judge highlights um, and we make judgments on people in real in sports based on their highlights, I know we do it in high school football, um, we need to also be aware of uh, how the highlights are being put out in the real world, especially on this app, Facebook, social media, and all that. So here we go. Um, yeah, perhaps that opinion was formed a long time ago. Doesn't mean that that opinion, Santana, needs to be maintained throughout time. It doesn't mean that that opinion, as low as it may have been, needs to deteriorate from where it was. I mean, people's minds can be changed. It takes time. But because that opinion may have been formed a long time ago, doesn't mean we need to continually feed into that. I think if we are okay with passing that around, and this is the only thing that's seen of us, then we're going to be stuck in this forever. And it's just not true. It's the lowlights. It's all of Sam Darnold's turnovers is what it is, when that's the only thing that you're pushing around. I mean, he had touchdown passes. He's a great football player. He's worthy, uh, apparently, of being the number one pick overall tomorrow. But he wouldn't be if the only thing we ever saw on him were fumbles, interceptions, and incompletions. And so we need to be mindful of that, too. Uh, Watch what we share, what we pass around. To be honest with you, a lot of the people that will watch me on this show um, are probably not people that share that kind of stuff. But if I reach one or two people and they reach one or two people, we get this whole thing. We could be like one of those silly chain letters that I keep getting in my inbox. But, you know, pass it on. Be mindful of what we're putting out there as a people, as our highlight video on social media. And we should counsel our children and our kids about what it is they want to share on social media. Because every time you share that, um, you're putting a highlight video out there that people are going to form an opinion on, not just on the people that are involved in the video, everyone that looks like that person or those people in that video. Let's jump to this. Hey, you know, there's high drama in the state of Florida high school football. They say all of the BS goes down in South Florida. What? Not so fast. We had some drama today. And when I went looking into the drama that went down in high school football today, I found that it wasn't just what happened today. There's been a series of things. What am I talking about? Venice high school football coach John Peacock was fired today. He was offered, like, you know, often happens, the uh, 
um, opportunity to resign, but he refused, and so he was fired by Venice High School. And what was the reason? The initial reason is this. He liked a tweet that was put out by one of his former players about Braden River High School coach, um, Coach Bradley. And Coach Bradley is a multiracial um, individual, and the tweet had something to do with spray tans, something to the effect of, is this what you use? And John Peacock, the high school football coach, former high school football coach for Venice, liked the tweet and then added some kind of a comment to it, nothing too inflammatory, something to the effect of, um, you know, they're out to beat everyone, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that he liked the tweet was of issue. And who turned him in? Coach Bradley from Braden River High School. Now, why is that significant? Well, of course, Coach Bradley was involved in the tweet. The tweet was about him. But, however, it should be noted that Braden River High School was turned in by Venice High School for having illegal practices. And so that's where the bad blood uh, started boiling. There have been some issues between these two schools prior to this, as would be the case for two schools um, that are rivals and have to see each other every year in the two best schools in their area. However, uh, Venice High School obtained video of illegal practices being conducted by Brayton River High School, turned it into the FHSAA, and sanctions came down. And one of those sanctions was that uh, Brain River High School could not have spring practice this year, which if you're not from the state of Florida, you don't think that's much of a big deal. But if you are down here in the state of Florida, very big deal. Um, spring practice is um, crucial uh, for player development, uh, for getting yourself lined up for the season, for kind of seeing what you have on a roster, uh, and then also for recruiting purposes. So uh, that has some big ramifications down here in the state of Florida. So the plug got pulled on Brain River High School's ability to have um, spring practice this year as a direct result of Venice Beach, I mean, Venice High School. Um, turning them in for having illegal practices. So it seems uh, this might have been a little bit retaliatory. However, head coach John Peacock provided that opportunity by liking a tweet that um, one could construe as being racial. It doesn't take much these days. We're teetering on the edge of race. I think everyone here knows that. Um, we're fighting about it on a daily basis. We're discussing it on a daily basis. And so um, Coach Bradley penned a letter to uh, the district and to Venice High School appealing to them to handle the situation because they, he felt there was some racial insensitivity both in the tweet as well as in John Peacock liking it. So um, with that in mind, Venice, the uh, principal at Venice High School brought John Peacock in, discussed it with him. Um, offered them the opportunity to resign, which he um, said no to, and was fired today. Now, there's a little bit of a history between um, these two schools, and there's a little bit of a history for John Peacock. And um, the school is saying that it's more than just this one incident. It's been an accumulation of things. Um, and in reading up the story, I did not know about this. I don't know if some of y'all out there knew about some of the things that have been going on at Venice High School, Venice uh, High School are you defending state champs. Um, 
finally getting over the hump and beating St. Thomas last year. They made it all the way to Orlando and completed the deal. And they are your defending state champs. It's not often you see the defending state champs lose their head coach, at least not in this fashion. Perhaps he would take another job, but that's not the case here, clearly. Uh, John Peacock was fired. But there have been a number of incidents. Um, One of those incidents was last year, uh, Venice High School was accused of illegally contacting a player from Northport High School um, in an effort to recruit him. They were turned in for it. And in what can kind of be a rarity, they were sanctioned for it. Because um, I think most of us know that this happens, uh, I don't want to say quite often, but it happens enough. And you just don't, you know, see sanctions being handed out for it. Nevertheless, sanctions were handed out to Venice High School um, for illegal illegally contacting the player from Northport High School on social media. So, uh, John Peacock last year was not able to participate in spring practice, and the school was fined some $5,000. Eight years ago, um, there were six violations. This was also under John Peacock's tenure at Venice High School. There were some six FHSA rule violations that were uncovered, and uh, one of those happened to be players staying with um, coaches on the team. Man, it's wild out there. You know, people want to paint the picture of South Florida being the wild, wild west when it comes to high school, but check out Brayton River and Venice doing their thing. So this is, a, this is a statewide problem. You know what? If you start talking to people out in California, it's a problem out in California too. But nevertheless, um, as a result of those six violations uh, that were uncovered eight years ago, the uh, Venice High School was sanctioned uh, once again in that incident and fined almost $10,000. So the school, the principal, is saying that when you start stacking all of these incidents, one on top of the other like this, the last straw was what went on with liking the, uh, the tweet by the ex-player that could have been um, interpreted as being a, you know, a racial diss um, racial in nature, and so that was the end. So, Venice High School has lost their head coach, and uh, they're going to travel on this year without that. I'm telling you right now, the Brayton River Venice High School game, I can't wait for that one, because it's always been tough, it's been rough, it's going to be extra rough this year. That's going to be a serious war, and the winner is fighting for the right to come down and face St. Thomas um, and probably take a loss, because you, you know, they won last year. Yeah, you're not winning twice in a row against St. Thomas, so that's what the winner gets, but that's going to be a bloodbath. Uh, but just interesting to see the drama that went down there. What else is going on? Uh, this goes on every year, and I'm going to ask Jonah Tulls about this. News comes out yesterday about um, former Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway failing the drug test. This kind of stuff goes on every year, and it's very interesting to me, um, the timing on this. Uh, and so, you know, I will ask Jonah more of, about this, but who puts these kind of stories out? Um, what is the move behind this? What are the reasons for a story like this coming out two days before the NFL draft? Um, um, you know, information about Antonio Callaway failing a drug test. Um, this is something that we've seen every year. Last year, we had a number of guys get into some trouble right before the draft. And, you know, thankfully, and interesting that we have not had, shoot, we haven't had much of that at all this year. So maybe the lessons were learned. 
Maybe there were a lot more bad boys in last year's class. But um, So a story like this about Antonio Callaway doesn't get tucked away very well. It's out there front and center. It's two days before the NFL draft. So it's rather um, interesting, the timing on this. So uh, once again, um, a player's poor decision is going to probably cost him some money. How much? We're going to find out. You know, Callaway uh, was someone that could have had his name called uh, on Friday. And there's a chance now that uh, that could slide all the way to Saturday for Callaway, as some teams will completely take him off the draft board, which they probably had done already, but um, there could be others doing this. Uh, take this time to ask all of you watching right now, share this video to your page. Um, and then, you know, also feel free to comment, make any comments below. But if you like this, uh, if you like the Gridiron Stud Show, share this to your page. And uh, let your friends see it. Don't hide. Share, you know. Uh, you share all the, the chick fights. Um, share this one on there as well. So um, I'm going to have Jonah Tells joining me here soon on the show so we can get into some NFL draft talk and kind of get an idea, get a pregame plan of uh, what's going to be going down tomorrow um, when the NFL draft comes around. So, um, I, you know, this stuff with Venice High School just – came down today. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on it? I also had this question of the day also uh, that I posted on Facebook. If your 16-year-old son was a phenom, let's say he's the next Jadavion Clown. He's a 6'5", 240, at 16. He's a 6'5", 240-pound beast that no one can block. Um, schools are all over. Um, the schools are all over him, and, you know, it looks like there's no stopping him. Would you be okay with pulling him out of high school and sending him to an academy where he would be a full-time football player. Basically, you're doing ball all day long. Would you be in favor of that? I would love to hear um, you guys' thoughts on that. Um, would you be okay with that? Now, obviously, it would benefit him to, um, from a football standpoint, um, to have – that round-the-clock football attention, but, um, you know, do you think that would be in his best interest? Since, you know, it looks like football is going to be his thing. He's 6'5", he's 240, he has all of the intangibles. He's a 4'5", 4'6", Um Hey, you know, we shun college football, uh, college educations left and right. We do that all the time, so... Um, why not just do it in high school? So that's the question that I have out there. Would you do that for your 16-year-old if he was a phenom like that? Why not just go get round-the-clock football attention? All right. It looks like um, I'm going to have to call in to Dana here to uh, to get this, I mean to Jonah to get this completed. So um, if you guys just bear with me here a moment. You guys marinate on that question. Your 16-year-old was a complete physical freak and a phenom. Uh, would you send him to some football academy where he could get round-the-clock football instruction and drilling um, from some of the best in the game and some of the best instructors in the game? Would you be willing to do that? I want to know how many of you out there would, would uh, be on board with that. And you know what? The education, we could do all that stuff later. We will uh, – how many of you would do that? All right, let me see if I can get a hold of Jonah so we could conduct our interview here about the NFL draft. You guys just bear with me here a moment. See if we can get Jonah on the phone. 
to uh, get things going here. As a good old blog talk radio is doing blog talk radio type of things. So you guys could sit in here and listen on this going down. Hey, is this Jonah? Uh, yes, sir. Hey, Jonah, it's Chad Wilson, Gridiron Stud Show. You happen to be on live since we're close. You know, we had a full plan to be here. Um, so you're on. Happy to have you on, man. How are things going? Things are going good. Thanks for having me on, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, uh, listen, just uh, for everyone listening and for me to reiterate this again, I'm really impressed with your work. There are a ton of people on Twitter that quote them, uh, quote call themselves draft analyst, you are actually one of the guys that really, really put the work in. So I want to start with that. You have, um, you have a report that's been put out uh, on 300 of the so-called top prospects that are going to be in this draft this weekend. And uh, you also have comparisons um, for, for the guys that are in your top 300. Can you tell me what kind of work goes into putting together something like that for the draft? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting question, and it's something that really needs to be broken down into a couple different parts. So, like, when you watch the tape, you really want to look for traits at each position. Like, for cornerback, I think one of the most important things is how they put their back to the ball and man coverage. You know, his press for is so important to his NFL. They use that length and they look over your shoulder and track the ball. Um, zone coverage, you know, they anticipate and break on the ball. Um, what are your balls? Because ball skills goes much more than ball pressure. So you have to be able to watch the tape and see that have those traits. And that's what the box scores like some of the other guys do. Um, the same thing with, like, pass rushers. Do they bend off the edge? Um, can they get the corner? Because I know a lot of people lost that and, you know, cost a get 12, 13 sacks, but how do they do it? How do they train with this? So that's really what they're position. You know, you look at how they translate to the NFL, you don't always look at like a production or an analyst like that. You know, it's the mental mass of tapes and great. You check the boxes and you check the balance, stuff like that. But you don't want to just judge a prospect just based on film or just based on analysts. You want to do a little bit of both in there. So I think that's really important. Uh, that's something I think it's a, a young scout. Uh, but, yeah, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Ten months of doing this stuff. Um, Rise to the draft stands and for a two-month period and I get back on it uh, for the next class. Um, getting the comparison that it really comes to late, late in the process where I'm more comfortable with the visuals and their size and, you know, their tape and they just combine all the time. But, yeah, man, just watching the tape analyze these guys. It's a long, growing process when you come to the end right here. Well, you know, you say that it takes 10 months, and I imagine that is the case because you have just so much film to watch. Um, do you watch it chronologically? And the reason I ask that is if you watched a guy nine months ago, um, can your opinion of him be the same eight or nine months later? you got to rewatch film, correct? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think one of the biggest things about watching film chronologically, I'll take one guy, for example, was a guy named Wayne Banger. I just went back to Boise State this year. You look at early tapes, you're probably not that impressed. You see games uh, where he's just not really feeling the hole. He doesn't really know where he's going. But I think one of the biggest things is context. And with Vander, he's a guy that was really raw. He's only a one-year starter. So you can really see he's trying to the position kind of. Then we see Morgan down the line in the last year of the bowl game. He was like a top-ten pick. So I think you have to watch the best develop as the season goes along. So you don't miss important context. Yeah, I would certainly imagine on that. And, and so that makes the task even more daunting uh, of having to rewatch film on, on just right. so many guys. 
I was watching your uh, most recent mock draft, and that's got to be the last one. We, we're, not, we're not able to drop any more um, in there. And, I, you know, I found a few things interesting. Um, why, what makes, it's, it's almost seeming now like Sam Darnold is a slam dunk. And, listen, full disclosure, um, I've been preaching this narrative for quite some time now, Jonah, that um, I don't think the Cleveland Browns should involve themselves in taking a quarterback. Um, with either one of these two top picks. I'm of, the, I'm of the opinion that they should spend all these draft picks and totally fix everything else about their football right. team and then at, plug a quarterback in once everything is fixed. And that's probably not going to be this year. If you want to get a mid-rounder um, and take a chance on him, fine. Otherwise, let Tyrod Taylor drive this bus as you try and fix everything else on it. Um, why Sam Darnold in Cleveland? Baltimore 
Joe as well. So I think they should try to keep the six, but I think they get seven with some Jason Long Hard look because the Colts obviously need some uh, a trouble talent on their defense. NFL draft analyst Jonah Tulls joins me here on the Gridiron Stud Show. So um, you know, let's let's talk about some of the 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 possibilities that could happen. You know, when you're putting together a mock draft, one of the hardest things I think for you guys to forecast um, are the trades. Um, and when the trades happen, it, it's kind of like an NCAA basketball bracket. Um, right. You know, it only takes one, you know, like a, a 12 seed or, you know, 14 seed to upset everything. Um, how does, you know, what does that do to you The when you try to make a mock draft? How do the trades affect you? Mm-hmm. I think we look at more play speeds and time speeds on these guys. And Mark Wallen plays faster than most of our best in the trash class. His jump cut is quick. He's fluid. He's 
When you get stories, why? Let me ask you this, Jonas, as a as a guy who's following the draft. Why do we get these stories this late or this close to the actual date? Is there a legitimate reason for that, or can we just speculate that someone leaked this because um, you know it's one of those things they do with the draft? I thought he used his 
really well. I think uh, I think he was a guy who mitigated a lot of the long speed concerns by getting his hands on receivers. Mm. But I think a lot of that was due to him, due to receivers not watching enough film on him or teams not knowing enough about him as a player. That's where he got a lot of success. In 2017, I think a lot of coaches started to expose him. Mm. I think some of them said, okay, he can't run. Mm. And I think his team started to expose him by saying, all right, if you get off the line stretch, not going to get a hand on you, you beat him. And that's a lot of what happened. Uh, he wasn't able to get his hand on the shoes a lot. He looked anxious about the scrimmage. He got to get a good look. Um, and he was a confident with his feet and his hands as he last year. Mm-hmm. And he was able to mitigate those long speed concerns. So I think that's why he got beat a lot. And then, you know, when you look at the 2016 2017 tape, a lot of teams challenged him at the catch point. And mm-hmm. that's just something you don't do to a guy who's 6'2, 6'3, guy with a long arm mm-hmm. who has good ball skills. When teams that do that, they challenge more on the open field. You can see his lack of change of direction, his stiffness, and stuff like that. And I think it's really exposed to a guy who's really sort of really limited at the next level. He's a guy who play only probably his own. Um, for me, I don't trust the mentor at all with his lack of athleticism, his lack of um, fluidity in his hips and his feet. Mm. So, McFadden is a guy I like coming out. I thought he'd make a little bit of stride coming into his junior season. It just didn't happen. It just didn't come to fruition, and he tested poorly. I think he's ended up going to the fourth or fifth round just because of his trades alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys with his point, the guys with his ball skills don't really last that long. Mm-hmm. But if a team says, all right, I don't want to draft a four six corner, then he could fall to the fifth or sixth round. So it, it, it really just depends on what a team values in the quarterback. But I, I would not be surprised to see a all team fall to the fifth or sixth round. Tough question here for you, Jonas. You probably have gotten it at some point during this whole draft process. Cut out everything. Um, needs, where you're picking, whatever. Jonah tells us the GM of an NFL franchise, you need a quarterback. All these guys that are a part of this exist. Who's your guy? Who are you picking? Yeah, I have to go back to this morning. I took him on flight court. Uh, I think Sam Donald. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons why. I'm obviously, both of the other guys. Baker Mayfield, I love Baker. I'm the number two quarterback. I think he's got a big plus in the suit. And he's got a more accurate as his career going on. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that I think, uh, if, I'm, if I'm in the business of being correct, I want to minimize risk. Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit of an outlier, mm-hmm. to, to, no matter how you put it. He's, mm-hmm. he's got his undersized, um, he's a walk-on, he's a guy who um, I think is going to have some durability because he's going to the next level to get hit. I think he's a little under-framed. Um, so I'll, I, I'll be, I'll be lying because I wasn't concerned about Baker Mayfield going forward, mm-hmm. but he had crazy look for it. He had the leadership, the intangibles, mm-hmm. um, he's an accurate player. But he's a guy who has a, a great arm, and he's undersized, so he's a little bit of an outlier. But he's my number two quarterback, so I do like him a lot. Josh Rosen, um, best podcast on the draft. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the biggest things not is coachability. I know a lot of people wants to bring him so you know, he's not a great locker room guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to jump into that. I'm mm-hmm. going to say more so about his durability. Mm-hmm. Because you look at his issues concussions, and a guy who's not all that you know, built as frame-wise, mm-hmm. built as flunker. Mm-hmm. So maybe he can hit a lot. I think he's going to go down. I think he's going to have some early concerns. I talked to him about Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. Sam Bradford is much, you know, pure traits as any quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. That guy has natural talent. But interest have fulfilled his career so much. Probably a fair comparison. I would agree. Yeah, I think Rosen can fall into the same thing. To where, like, he's a natural pocket concert, but the fact he can't move out of the pocket to be stuck inside there, mm-hmm. I think he's going to have trouble with her really going forward if he doesn't grasp his line. And then, yeah, it's kind of Josh Allen, too. You know, all the trades with a guy who just doesn't have the production or the guy who doesn't have the case to really match those trades is consistency. So I can't trust him in the first two rounds at all to me. Uh, Lamar Jackson's 
um, you know, truth be told, full disclosure, um, I was a coach on the team when he was there. And that's Mike White, the quarterback from Western Kentucky. Give me your thoughts on Mike White um, and what you think he could possibly do at this next level. Yeah, Mike White, to me, is a guy who is kind of a mid-round version of Josh Allen, mm-hmm. where some kids have been on the traits. Mm-hmm. There's no way that has the arm. This guy has the ability to make all the throws. Um, he has he has all the mechanics you want. He, he's really just like the, the natural guy that you want in the mid-round quarterback who can develop and put your locker on as they're right. If you sit behind a couple years and really you can't be a starter, mm-hmm. I think that's the best-case scenario for him. Because I think he does have all the traits and the tools you want. I think it doesn't translate necessarily to what he did in consistency. And his accuracy was a little all over the place. His mm-hmm. was a little bit poor. Mm-hmm. But you think the short of his, you, you show up his consistency and make him more of an accurate quarterback. I think he's a guy who gave him a lot of the shell, the spot starter kind of backup. Mm-hmm. Like I can start a little bit like the guy like Nick Foles, mm-hmm. the guy who can make that he won't be the guy who makes you like he won't be the guy who makes you win the game. Mm-hmm. He'll be the guy who drives you to the finish line. And I think that's the guy who you can be as as a ceiling to me. And I think he's got a long career back of the you know, this four. So I like Mike White. I don't want him as much as to take him the second or third round. I think he's more of a day three guy in my board. Best fit for Mike White if you've given that any thought. Yeah, see that is interesting because Mike White, I think I would rather do to like New Orleans, to buy Drew Brees, or to like LA, to sit behind the rivers. Because I think you can have learn behind a center as opposed to um, spending too much ball for where he might be able to compete for the starter job right away. Right. And then all of a sudden he's thrown to the fire. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, tough defense is cold weather. It's like, okay, that's a little bit different now. Yeah. So I, I thought I'd just sit behind a guy like Drew Brees or Phil Rivers right away and so learn for two or three years and then jump in and be ready to, be, be ready to start if you need to be. Jonah, give me your guy in this draft that you think people should be talking about more. Your most underrated guy in this draft this weekend. Oh, man, that, that's, that, that's a good question. I have a lot of guys I can hit on here, but I'll say, I'll say Jair Alexander. Mm-hmm. For and because I know he's 5'10", I know he's the longest line, so he would fit the profile of the size of the most hard quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I've compared him to Chris Harris for years plus in the summer. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who went inside around. He's scheme transcendent, in my opinion. We've seen him play press against Mike Williams and shut him down. Mm-hmm. We've seen him play off and make big plays with no steps with guys who are quick and close on the ball mm-hmm. and anticipate. Mm-hmm. We've seen him play zone coverage and be able to, you know, have beat his quarterback and cover two little honey hole throws and he picks them on. So I, I think he has the speed, he has the quickness, the physicality more in run support, and the ball is supposed to be a bona fide quarterback. And I have him top five on my board. I think I, he's the best defense back in the draft, in my opinion. And with his tangles and abilities to really win at all aspects of coverage, I think that I, I actually have a hard time seeing him bust out of the league because he has those traits and has the talent to be a star position. And that's why I mentioned his color traits for Trent Browns as well. He's a tremendous playmaker. He's a great athlete. I think he's going to be stuck in that level. I think some teams should consider him a top 10. It won't happen, but if I were to, I would definitely consider him as my top four. I trust you. Well, Joe, you've been doing this for a while, uh, and I'm going to sound like when I ask you this. Because uh, no matter what you do, people are just going to remember the misses. Tell me your biggest miss in all the years of doing this. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's tough. I've had a couple of them. Both the defensive backs, which I think I'd like to say I specialize in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been an overthought. Right. A lot of them was Landon Collins. The safety who went to the Giants. Okay. Um, I had a third-round grade on him. I thought this guy who would not be able to be able to hold his own in coverage. Mm-hmm. I thought he's got to be strictly a box player. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's starting to set the 
um, about our race, with people that we're affiliated with, and I'm talking specifically to blacks and African Americans. If you're running around sharing these fight videos between females, um, acting up any and everywhere, um, and one of the biggest places you'll see that is in Waffle House. People form the opinion that uh, none of us know how to go and act in a Waffle House. So, you know, perhaps that is the reason why they're quick to call the police. Perhaps um, there is, that is why there's some blowback on people who are, are innocently having some kind of a dispute um, at a Waffle House. And I'm talking about the young lady that was arrested over the utensils the other day. Um, you know, when you pass these things around on social media, man, people are seeing it. Employees from Waffle House are seeing it. And if they're constantly bombarded with images of uh, a certain race of people coming in their stores and fighting and getting into it, um, what do you think bears the brunt of that? It's going to be the innocent person that comes in there and has a legitimate dispute, as people of all races, colors, and creeds have you know, in, in businesses on a daily basis. But if the, in the back of your mind, the uh, images that you have in your head are of people being violent in the store, you're going to try and uh, not have that happen at your store. You're going to say to yourself, this shouldn't happen. We're not going to have this happen at our store. So here's how I'm going to handle it. Um, I'm going to call the police and get them here right away. I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to get them here early just in case anything breaks out. And then once the police are involved, man, a situation can go any old kind of way uh, once the police are involved. So, you know, an employee may be doing what they think is best for the, the company, the employees, and everyone around by getting the authorities here. Uh, but like I said, once the authorities show up, you have no idea what that is. Listen, we have to face the fact that some of that has to do with what we share and pass around, what's getting passed around on social media. So there may be racist groups that are starting this stuff, um, that are putting it out there, but we certainly are doing our part in aiding it and passing it around. It's on us to shut those things down. Don't share them. Don't pass them around. Um, and listen, put entertainment to the side, and let's look at the bigger picture. We need better highlight videos. We need better judgment. We need to be looked at in a better light. We don't do ourselves any. You cannot call yourself an activist. You cannot call yourself pro-black. You cannot call yourself pro-anything if you are involved in pushing around and disseminating those kind of negative images. You're dead on that level to me. Um, if you're putting that out there, you're just... Um, the whole thing about you being an activist and pro-anything falls to the wayside for me um, because you're putting out a bad highlight video of us. So that was my message today. Um, and, you know, if you like that message, disagree with that message, if you want to debate on that message, feel free to share this video I will, uh, or, and or comment on it. I will read the comments. I always do. Um, and I will comment back if it warrants a comment, um, and you also may be able to engage in conversation with others that are seeing it. So share this video, comment on this video, and um, let's get this thing passed around. Let's start a discussion on it. What kind of highlight video are we putting out there about us? Yeah, D.L. Hughley, <laughs> that guy. All right, that's it for us here at the Good Iron Stud Show. I want to thank all of you for listening to the show. I'll be back next Wednesday for another edition of the Good Iron Stud Show. Enjoy the NFL Draft this weekend. Thank you.